Here's what Paul writes in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship in Boise, Idaho, the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the director of CPE and your Bible teacher. If you wish to learn more about our work to raise up evangelists and church planters around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Paul's declaration of not being ashamed follows statements he has made of his desire and sense of duty and readiness to minister the gospel to those who are in Rome. If you are a born-again believer, you will find this same desire and recognize this same duty and need to make yourself ready for this same ministry. And now we must discover Paul's boast. He is not ashamed. He is proud of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, we're in Romans chapter 1. We're working our way through this first portion of the book of Romans. And Paul has basically finished introducing himself to the people and sharing with them something of what's in his heart. And he concludes in verse 15 that now he's ready to come and preach the gospel to all who are in Rome. His heart is, you might say, palpitating with this desire for and this readiness or preparedness for gospel ministry. He wants to come to the believers that are in Rome and he wants to bring to them a deepening message of all the benefits that have opened up to them through the gospel so that they may explore and so that they may experience the depth of God's grace and God's peace, that they might live in God's presence, enjoying him, that they might enjoy in God's presence God's pleasures. Paul says, I'm praying for you grace and peace upon you. And he wants to minister to the depth of the grace and peace that comes to them because they believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. And so he wants to have a gospel ministry among the believers. It's something we continue to do. It's once you've come to Christ and you believed in Christ, you're now not secure in heaven and then you just go on living your life, but you've just come into the entryway of the eternal cathedral of God's blessing and life and it's there for you to explore and know and understand and there for you to glory in. You've been restored into a relationship with God and with that relationship comes benefits that you've yet to know and imagine. And we want to lead one another into those blessings. And so we have a gospel ministry to one another. At the same time, Paul declares that he wants to come and have fruit among them. That is, he wants to come and along with these believers, he wants to lead more people to Christ. He wants to see more people come to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and believe in Jesus Christ, discover all the benefits that come to them, the salvation that comes to them through that faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's he's wanting to bring the gospel and see the gospel flourish in the life of the believer, but he's also wanting to bring that gospel, that good news, and see that gospel flourish in the life of the unbeliever. He wants to have a gospel ministry to both. Here's what the gospel is. We phrase it a number of different times and we've stated it in different ways and we've already gone through this and we'll go through it some more. We'll go through it over and over again because we should never tire of hearing it. The gospel's good news that declares the bad news first. It declares that we are sinners facing and deserving the wrath and judgment of God. Verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. Yet this God 
who hates sin and will judge the sinner, this God of holy wrath and justice loves us still. And he came to earth and flesh as a human being to save us. He lived the perfectly moral life that no human being has ever lived and cannot live. And he was that one sinless human being who fulfilled the righteousness that's required to enter into the presence of that holy God. And then he died sinless in our place to suffer the punishment our sins deserve and that are required from a holy God. He could do this. He could do this. He could die for us in our place for us because though he was one man in his perfect righteousness, his life was worth more than all of our lives put together. And he took that perfect, righteous, holy life and staked it out for our benefit. He also suffered for our sins, dying for sins in this way because it was the only way that God could come in flesh and live the life he requires of us and then holy, sinless, bear our sins in our place. This was the only way that God could righteously pay for and forgive our sins himself. Was he had to bring it upon himself. He had to die in our place for us. It's the only way that God could, without judging us, forgive us righteously. And so he did so to prove and demonstrate his righteousness. And we know that it was righteous and the offering was righteous and it was right and good because three days later, the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross, rose again from the grave, demonstrating that everything had been paid for us and that God had fulfilled the righteous requirements in order that we might walk and be with him. And so he says in verse 17, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That's the other part of the gospel. These two verses, we find Paul giving us the theme of the whole letter he's going to write. In a sense, these are the two most important verses in all the book of Romans because Paul is laying out the whole theme of his message. It's the basis on which a righteous God makes righteous sinners. It's how a righteous God spares us from the wrath we deserve and brings to us a righteousness that comes from faith to faith. And Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed to declare this to you. I'm ready and I'm eager to bring this message to you. Being forgiven by God, being washed of your sins, being reconciled to God, receiving eternal life from God, being put in a position where you're brought near to God and you're brought into a relationship with him so that you may, from this holy God who hates sin, you may enjoy the experience of his unending love forever and ever and that's the gospel. That's the good news. Now, Paul says he's not ashamed, but that he's ready to proclaim. Paul says he's ready to preach that gospel, and we spoke about this last week. This means that Paul knows what the gospel is. He knows it because he's experienced it himself. He knows its benefits in his own life, and he also knows the benefits and blessing that it has for and holds in store for all those that would believe in him and receive this gospel. He's ready because he knows the message. He knows what it means he knows it in his own life. He knows it in his mind. He knows how to simply express it to others and declare it to others. And so he's ready in that sense. He's ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within him. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And there we saw something of an example of what it meant for Paul to be ready. Not only does he know the message or the hope that lies within him, but he's also ready because he's prepared to bring that message in a certain manner. Here's what we read in verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter writes, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts 
and always be ready, there it is, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. That is, to give an answer for the gospel, to give an explanation of the basis of salvation. With, it says, meekness and respect. We would understand that with gentleness and respect. Verse 16 adds a little proviso. I didn't mention this last week. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Uh, that is, we're being instructed that by the Holy Spirit, we're to share the hope of our salvation and the hope of the gospel to others with gentleness and respect and from an obedient life that demonstrates the goodness in the will of God. You know, all that God wants you, all that God commands is not to make life difficult for you. It's not to make your life hard and just to kind of ride you. It's all the commandments of God are to position you to live under his goodness and to experience his goodness and to flourish in that goodness. And our life is to be expression of living in the good will of God, living in the good will of God, speaking to others the gospel with gentleness and respect. This is what Paul is talking about. So what follows again in Romans 1 verses 16 and 17 is this important declaration of the whole theme of the book. And so it's important that we get it right. And we're going to talk on this passage more than once. We're going to look at this more than once, maybe a few times. But now I just want to explore this one basic statement Paul says. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's kind of an interesting. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And we're going to just ask ourselves, what does he mean by that? What is Paul saying when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? The basic point here, and I think you'll see this by anybody who's commentating this and anybody who knows grammar, and anybody who knows the idioms of the Greek even, that Paul is basically saying, he's finding a negative way of saying, I'm really proud of the gospel. Paul is stating a positive by way of a negative. It's called a litotes is what it is in English. That's the grammar for it. We use it in other ways. We say things like, it's not rocket science, right? Or we say, she's no spring chicken. Or we say, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And these are all negative ways of saying things like, it's really simple, and she's getting old, and he's really dumb, right? But we say it with a negative to make the positive. Paul is using this same form of grammar to basically say, I'm proud of the gospel. I boast in the gospel. In fact, there's another passage in Galatians chapter 6, 14, Paul declares the same idea and he uses somewhat, it's not the same grammatical structure, but he uses a similar negative approach to accentuate the positiveness of his boast in the gospel. In Galatians 6.14, Paul says, but God forbid that I should boast in anything else except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he speaks of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's just another way of summing up this message of the gospel. God forbid that I would boast in anything but this. What Paul is saying is, what I have to boast in in the gospel is so wonderful and so proud that I would not waste my energy on anything else, boasting in anything else. And, and God, God forbid that I should. God deny that I would do anything but boast in the gospel. He's exalting in this one and only thing. It's so great. It's so wonderful. But this stating the positive by a negative only makes sense to some extent if it's juxtaposed against a real contrast that exists. It's juxtaposed against something that does take place. 
It only makes sense that Paul would only boast in the gospel because there are many who boast in other things but the gospel. It only makes sense that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because there are many who are ashamed of the gospel. And so what Paul also means here when he makes this declaration is that he has confronted this temptation to be ashamed with the gospel. And he's found victory over it. He's conquered it. There's a danger. There's a very real danger and reality of being ashamed of the gospel by which you're saved. It's bizarre. It's twisted and we know it. It's incongruent with what we find to be true in our hearts and yet we sound it out and find it. Notes where we're ashamed of this very thing that took us from death unto life and took us from the the sense of meaningless and darkness into light and eternal hope. It rises up within us. The enemy is always there stirring it up with us. He heaps upon us the scorn that we will also meet in the world in which we live in. He heaps upon us the scorn for the very message that we bring and the very hope that we claim. And Paul said the message of the gospel was to the Jew an offense. They considered it something scandalous. He said to the Greek in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it was, to the Greeks it was sheer nonsense. It was utter foolishness. We feel that. We sense that. We're aware that people scoff and their heart scoffs against the very message that we want to bring to them. Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.